Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity to gather together, Father, to, to fellowship you, to worship you, Father, and to fellowship with the fellow believers. Father, we ask that everything done and said today will be to the upbuilding of your kingdom, Father, and the advancement of, of your goals and your purpose. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. So on a very crowded subway car, there, there was a commotion, and the, the conductor sent the little security guy back a couple cars to figure out what the heck was going on, and it turned out that a couple of ladies were fighting over the last seat. And so it was a, a lot of controversy going on, and everybody was yelling and screaming, and and he's talking in the radio to the conductor, and the conductor answers back and said, well, just tell them let the ugly women sit down. And all of a sudden, it wasn't crowded in the seats anymore. Everybody stood up. <clears throat> I, uh, I picked up a new um, sensor this morning. Mr. Bill censored my good joke, so I'll have, to, I'll have to work on that one. All right, so what we talked about last week was standing firm and... In, 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 this is part two, right? We 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 go finish it, but but it seems like every time when I get finished, I'm like, oh, I was supposed to say that, oh, I was supposed to do that. So so we're gonna clean up, and this was already gonna be part two because I didn't get finished in some of my scriptures, but we're gonna hopefully clean up the stuff I was supposed to say as well, right? But just a reminder, right? So we started off with the Hebrew children, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stood firm in their beliefs regardless of what was taking place around them. In fact, they told the king. Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what, we're not going to worship you. God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not. There's nothing you can do for us, right? And what a great attitude to have as believers that when you say, I'm standing on God's word and I believe, and people around you doubt you or, or have something to say, and you go, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what you, you believe in. Good for you. And was that, as for me and my house, we worship God, right? We're going to do what we're supposed to do, and we're going to stand firm. And, and look, there are opportunities um, all around us. Um, you, you know, Savannah and Carolina are off at school, and Savannah called me one day, and recently in the last two weeks, I don't know, my head's bad, and said, I'm in this geography class, and they're talking about all the stuff that's happening around the world, and geography is kind of a, the beginning of the world geography stuff. And the professor put them on the spot, and out of the students, do you believe in abortion, yes or no? And Savannah said, isn't that weird to be having that discussion in geography? And she, I said, yes. And I said, and your answer was, no, absolutely not. You're killing a human being, regardless of what else, anything else takes place. Five kids out of 35 said no. That's pretty tough. But I'm proud of my kid, right? You know, you don't get to brag on your kid very often. I'm proud of my kid. She was, one of the, she was the first no. She said, no, I don't care. I don't care what took place. It's killing a human. It, she, and I'm so tickled with her, but I mean, she stood, stand, she stood firm because the lady even came back around. Are you sure after you've heard all of the other discussions, you don't want to change your answer? Zavina said, no, I, I don't. It's wrong. So when we are faced with situations of whether it's, you know, good or bad or, or indifferent, we, we have to be the shining example to the world the same way the three Hebrew children were in front of all of the people. They said, we, we refuse to bow knee to you. We worship God and God only, right? And, they, and, and no matter what else takes place, we don't care what else changes. We're going to stand firm. So we're going to go back to, I had just started reading, um, 
Ooh, did I not write it back down? Hold on. Time out. <sighs> Ephesians 6. I just started reading Ephesians 6, right? And we said, I think we're somewhere around verse 10. Finally, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so that you can stay, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces and evil heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after done everything to stand. Now, let me tell you, when, when we're talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles, um, you couldn't defeat a flea, right? I mean, your physical ability, you can't defeat a flea. But it, it, it's when we're standing firm, we're not standing on what, what we have. We're standing on God's word, right? And we're standing on what God's promises to us are. And the adoption ship into the family, right? That's what makes us special, that we're standing on God's ability. And the revelation knowledge that we have developed over maturing as a Christian, right? Because when you start off as a Christian, you don't know a whole lot of nothing. And the goal is, right, Paul said when you're babes, you get fed milk, but when you grow up a little bit, you get meat or, or stronger food, right? That's the goal. Our goal is that, that when we are faced with opportunities, that we are educated enough, have studied enough, have learned God's word enough, are rooted and grounded in faith, that we are led by the Holy Spirit enough that we know how we're supposed to act in situations, and when we stand firm on those beliefs, hey, look, I, I don't know how God does it. I, I really don't. Every week I have a sermon, right? And, and then like most of the time my sermon is done by Monday or Tuesday. And then the rest of the week I just meditate on it. And then as the week goes on, things happen in my life that reveal myself to being part of the sermon, right? I mean, I don't know how it is. It's life experience of what takes place. But you can be rooted and grounded in God's word, be led by the Holy Spirit, and if you refuse to listen, you still fall short of the mark. Ain't that right? Friday, I was standing on a ladder working, and Sally had a, something for me. It was a key and a little cardboard box. And I'm standing on top of the ladder, and I'm working. And she said, I need to go, but I need to give you this. And I said, set it right there on the front of my trailer. I'll get it in a minute. And in my spirit, I said, you need to get in off the ladder and get it. And in her spirit, the Holy Spirit said, don't put it there. He's got ADHD. He'll never remember it. <laughs> now, he'll never remember it. It's right there. I'm putting this one thing. I'm putting the ladder up. I'm coming back. I'm getting in my truck and leaving. Have y'all seen my key? I haven't. I don't know where it's at. I drove back and forth like three times. I've looked for the key. It had a little pink ribbon attached to it. I lost it completely, 100%. So you can be in where you're supposed to be. You can be led by the Spirit of God. You can be standing on God's truth. But when you get to the time to where you have to make the stand or make the decision or do the part that you're supposed to do, you can still fail to launch, right? You can get right there and go, oh, well, you know, it's okay. I'll do it anyway. I'll do it later. I'll, I'll take care of that later. I'll witness to them later. I'll, I'll, I'll do that next time. 
Next time when somebody brings that topic up, I'll tell them exactly what I know. And unfortunately, it's just like the key on the front of that trailer. It is somewhere strode down the highway with good intentions of that. I was getting ready to pick it up and put it in my truck. Now, thank the Lord it wasn't really that important. And, and, but I spent the next, let's say, three hours of my life driving back and forth on the highway and walking down the street looking for that key. And now I'm thinking as I'm walking down the street, Lord, I'm using this in my sermon on Sunday as I'm dripping sweat looking for a silly little key. The worst part about it is, is when I finally got to the house I was supposed to be going to, the door was unlocked anyway. I didn't even really need the key, but it was the lesson of looking for the key for three hours and failing to listen to what God told me to do and what God told Sally to do in the same moment. We just didn't do it. But when we are faced with a situation, we have to be, we have to be prepared to understand what God's Word says and what God's telling us to do, but we also have to be willing to perform what we're supposed to do. Having done everything, stand. We were prepared. We did everything we were supposed to do. We were being led by the Spirit. We just failed to do what we were supposed to do when it was done. So when our beliefs and, and stuff that happens around us, sometimes we get shuffled to the back and we forget to stand. Now, I want you to know, in this spiritual warfare... Y'all remember when the, the, the Israelites, when, when especially Joshua, went into, went into battle? Y'all remember that? Like, what, what happened when Joshua went into battle, right? They walked the Ark of the Covenant out in front of them, and, and the armies were defeated, right? Why? Because they were standing behind God's power, right? So, here's, here's another good story. Um, I think it's 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles. My handwriting is fantastic. I just want y'all to know that. It's, it's really good. Um, chapter 20, and we're going to start with verse 15. <clears throat> uh, 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came to, yeah, the son of Zechariah. And he said to the, we, that's why I skipped the 15, because I can't say none of those people's names. 15, and listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judea and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow, march down against them, and they will be <clears throat> climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge. And that's pretty awesome, right, if you were going into battle and God told you where they were going to be and what they were going to do. Uh, it's verse 17, you will not fight this battle, for take up your position and stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. For Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judea and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped the Lord. Some of the <clears throat> Levites from the... Yeah, boy. Verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And set out, and Jehoshaphat said, and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out ahead of the army. So, so, so we go into battle. We already know where the enemy is going to be. God's already said... 
They're defeated. It's not your fight. It's my fight. So how do you celebrate a victory? Man, you sing and praise, right? When they sit, when you, when, when you celebrate the victory, everybody's dancing and singing and everything is wonderful. But they did it on the way. <clears throat> and so they were saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, of Moab, of Mount Seir, who were invading Judea. And they were defeated. So all of the people that they were going to fight started fighting amongst themselves. So as the battle started, the good guys weren't even there yet. And that, that old saying, man, I used to say that a bunch when I was young and stupid. If anybody ever wanted to fight, I'd tell them, go outside and practice falling down, and I'll be there in a minute. Right? Y'all go ahead, get, go ahead and get ready to get your butt whooped. Go outside and practice falling down, and I'll be there in a minute. I don't think that was ever successful at any point in time. But, but in, in this, this situation, it was. God said, this battle is mine. This ain't yours. Right? Don't be afraid. Stand firm into what I've told you. And I got it taken care of. Man, it almost seems like we're in that same situation on a regular basis. Yet, most of the time when we're facing something, we're not singing and praising God. Right? We're not walking out singing and praising God before the battle started. Why? We're fighting against a defeated foe. So when we stand firm in what God's word says about us, we already know we have the victory. The Bible says if God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Why are we not celebrating? Well, you don't know. Well, I'll go back to the king, uh, the, the three Hebrew children, what they told the king. God's going to show up and save us. But even if he don't, I'm not going to change who I am. Well, the world's going to talk bad about you. Well, that's fine. God will protect me. But even if he don't, it's not going to affect who I am. Well, people are going to make fun of you, or people are going to talk bad about you, or people are going to talk behind your back. I don't care. God will be a hedge of protection around me. But even if he's not, I will not change who I am. So as they're walking to the battle, the other enemy was already defeated. Verse 23, And all of those people rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked <clears throat> toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground, for no one had escaped. And so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. See, once you beat them, you got to get all the goodies, all the money, all the stuff, all the, uh, the things that they had, right? They didn't want a Costco. So you need swords, you need shields, you need spears, you need money. Just go get it off the dead guys. It was so much plundered that it took three days to collect. Now how many folks you reckon that was that they just killed each other? A few, right? Because if it was, you know, 12 or 15, it says a vast army. So There's a lot of people. And God set them in a snare and they attacked each other. And the victory was made before they even got there. Praise God, we walk in that every day. My victory is already made before I get there. And it took three days to tote off the plunder. Now, I'm going to ask you, 
If you go back to verse 15, when the prophet came to them and said, hey, don't worry about this. God's got it. You just got to show up and stand firm. What would happen if they didn't? If they'd have got all the way there and they didn't. If they'd have tucked tail and run. And you know, you, you, you think, well, you know, maybe. but God told them that it was taken care of. Why would they run? Well, I don't know. How many situations in your life are you all the way there and all you have left to do is to stand firm on what God's word says for you to see the reward that God has put in front of you, that plunder that takes three days to collect and you backtrack or retreat or change your plans or change your confession or start to downplay it or start to talk. Well, you know, I don't know if we should do that. You know, if you were to be nice to those people, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I need to be in that situation of witness. They might think I'm strange. I mean, I, I, I'm just saying, I mean, as far as I can tell and what I see in the, in the daily news or whatever, I don't see anybody torturing and beating Christians in the United States. Right? I haven't seen vast armies of people showing up to kill and annihilate the people of God. I mean, I'm not saying it's not happening in other places in the world. I'm just saying where you live, it doesn't even seem like the enemy is really that concerned over us. It doesn't really even seem like that, that we're showing up enough to be troublesome. And it's a shame. We are fighting on the side of victory. And God says that he has taken care of us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. All we got to do is show up. It seems difficult, I guess. Thomas and I were talking about it before church started. Sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes it's not convenient. It's not convenient to be, you know, committed to coming to church or committed to living like you're supposed to. It's not convenient. Sometimes there are other things going on. Sometimes there's other people around. Maybe I'm worried about whether or not I get the promotion at work or not. So I don't need to act like a crazy Christian. Because i got to make sure that they think I'm one of them. I'm going to go ahead and tell you if you're getting a promotion at work. Because you're hiding whether or not you're a Christian. You don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want to blend in. What we have here is a very short span compared to eternity. Right? The Bible says our life is like a vapor. A mist. It is gone. So what I think we need to do and what God, I mean, it, we need to take full advantage of what we have. For however long we can do it, for however long we have the ability to witness, to do, to show up, to be the people of God, we have to take full advantage of it. Because what happens is, is if you wait till next time, Y'all, most of y'all haven't. Y'all ever really like tried to hunt a really nice buck? And, and you let him, you know, you don't have the perfect shot and you let him go. And you're like, I'll get him next time. I, I, I have a deer that haunts me, right? There was a really nice deer and I let him go because I didn't have a really good shot. And I'll get him next time. It's been about six years. I ain't seen next time. That deer has died of old age or somebody hit him with a car or somebody else killed him. But, but you know, that those opportunities that uh, I'll get them next time, that might not be a next time. 
We have to be ambassadors of God from when our feet hit the floor to where our head hits the pillow. Seven days a week from now until Jesus comes back. That, that's our job. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're supposed to be the hands and feet. We're supposed to be doing good and healing the sick and tending to the poor and tending to the widows and tending to the folks that need help. You know, those least of these folks, right? And if we're not, then what exactly are we doing? I, I don't know. It's not convenient. I don't have enough time. There's too much stuff going on. I'm really busy. You could come up with whatever version of the excuse you want. Sally has a saying that really gets on my nerves, but it, it, is, it is a fantastic saying, and, it, and I don't know where it came from, but it says, says that excuses only satisfy those who make them. And that's it, right? Excuses only satisfy those who make them. So if we're not standing firm in God's word and being about the Father's business and going and doing what we're supposed to do and witnessing to the world and giving what we're supposed to give and tending to who we're supposed to tend to, what are you doing? And if it's an excuse, you probably should fix it. And you go, well, I'm too old or I'm too young or nobody listens to me or nobody worries about what I say or, hey, look, you know, 20 years ago, your reach might have been a pretty small group of people in Northeast Russellville or, or West Alvin or, you know, wherever you're from. You might have had a little tiny group. But today, in today's world, <laughs> in a matter of seconds, you can touch thousands of people, of people you've never met before. I still randomly, people come up to me and they go, hey, I watched you preach on TV the other day. Like, really? Me? You did? And I'll be nasty and dirty and working, and they're like, yeah, don't. I had a guy not so long ago show up on a job site. And he said, man, I swear I know you. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think we've ever met. I, you know, I know your sister. Yeah, but, I mean, I know you. You look so familiar. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And he was like, you preach on Facebook, don't you? And I'm like, well sometimes if the computer works and we can get it shared and, you know, it hits in your, you know, algorithm or whatever and it shows up on your timeline. Yeah, I, I actually do sometimes preach on Facebook. I knew I knew you from somewhere. You don't know. You don't know who you reach. You don't know who you affect. It's, <clears throat> it's like the old Mordecai, Mordecai Ham story, right? Mordecai Ham, y'all heard me tell that before, right? Mordecai Ham is an evangelist, eastern North Carolina, preached in dirt floors, revivals, never really had, according to the internet, never really had a crowd over more than 25 or 30 or 40 people. Man, I seem like I'm more Mordecai Ham than I know. It, 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 it never really talked to a big group of people. Wasn't flamboyant, didn't have some great legacy, except for one guy, right? He was the evangelist at the service when Billy Graham got saved. Yeah, you know, just one person. And I'm not saying Mordecai Ham only led one person to the Lord. I'm just saying that one person. 
And we were sitting in a pastor's conference, and they were talking about testimony years ago before Granddaddy and Mr. Glenn and all of those guys went to be with the Lord. And they were talking about <clears throat> their testimony and where they come from. And, and they were talking in very deep details of who they were growing up and what they did and, and how they found God and how it changed their life. And out of, it was like 31 people in the room, like 85% of the people in the room, every one of their salvation went back to Billy Graham. Mine didn't, because mine went to stump. But his went back to Billy Graham. See, isn't that amazing how? But, but, but how about if Mordecai Ham didn't stand on his beliefs? How about if Billy Graham would have made an excuse that I can't go tonight? I got to, I don't know what he did, slop the hogs or feed the chickens or break corn. or I mean, it was years ago, whatever. Maybe he worked in a wool mill. Maybe he was picking cotton. Maybe he was doing something on the farm. How about if he had come up with an excuse and not to show up and do his part? How many millions of people would have been affected if he didn't do what he was supposed to do? And then once he had his ministry... You know, no matter where he went, no matter who he talked to, he stood firm in his beliefs. People came against him in all different directions. Well, don't you think there are lots of different ways to get to heaven? No. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to the Father except through me. He never flinched. His belief never changed. He never changed his opinion. He never blended in with the crowd. And what happened? Millions of people came to be saved. Now, one little guy was speaking in eastern North Carolina on what God's Word said. I say little guy. He might have been big as that door. I don't know how big he was. So when you think about running into a situation where it is to stand firm, and you go, well, th does this really affect anybody? I mean, does anybody really care if I go to church? Does anybody really care if I show up and volunteer? Does anybody really care if I don't do exactly what I'm supposed to do? Hmm, maybe. Might affect the whole world. Might not. But if you look back in time, you sure think, boy, Billy Graham sure changed a lot of folks' opinions. I'm just saying. I mean, you go back and look and say, if Ananias didn't show up when God went to him and, and, and go witness to Paul, Saul, I'm, I mean, two-thirds of the New Testament wouldn't have been written, or not by that hand anyway, or God would have found somebody else. I mean, and, and that's, what you think, that's what you think, right? Oh, you know, God doesn't need me to do that. I'm just living my life. I'm, God knows who I am. Yeah, he does. And you have a purpose. And my biggest, right, I told you all this. My biggest fear is to fall short and not show up and do what I'm supposed to do when God was counting on me to do it. Pick a Mordecai Ham, a Billy Graham, or Ananias, a Paul. I mean, even Paul. Paul was beaten, tortured, shipwrecked. Chained to the wall over and over and over and over. Still stood his ground. Never changed his mind. Timothy, in front of the Sanhedrin. Here's what God said. This is what God's word says. And you know, if Timothy doesn't, as Jerry Clower would say, shell down the corn in front of the Sanhedrin, they probably would not have stoned him. 
right? He wasn't even a big guy in the church. I mean, Timothy was not a big guy in the church, right? We have to be really careful of who we are and where we are and who we're supposed to be. Because you don't know. You don't know whose salvation hangs on the next piece. Like a passion, fire, and glory. How about if we wouldn't have supported them financially for the last 30 years? Millions of souls. Nobody you know, but their brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to be who God sent us to be. We have to stand firm on what God's word says. We have to show up and be that person day in and day out. There is no days off. There are no excuses. We have to be committed to who we are in Christ because you don't know. You don't know when the opportunity arises to where you are the key to their salvation. You're the only Jesus they get to see. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we pray that it will go forth and it will not return void. Father, we just give you the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.